Bienvenue. Herzlich willkommen. How's it going, folks? Welcome to Chris Wine Africa on the Indaba Africa Broadcast Network. It is Saturday, June the 26th, 2021. Wherever you find yourself around the world, whether it's in uh, the tar sands of Canada, where Tony sits right now, or it happens to be out there in Kiwiland, New Zealand. Maybe you're with Authentic Max, who's gone AWOL, and we haven't seen in ages now on the new channel. Or maybe you're with Andre Jacobs, who's turned up on the new channel, but only rarely there in China. But whatever the case is, where maybe around the world, folks, thanks for tuning in to Chris White Africa. And we're going to get to the Indaba African News of the Day now with the headlines, an abbreviated version of the news this weekend on Saturday. But let me start off by pointing out a couple rugby games just before we get too far here. First off, in Curry Cup action, which I broadcast on the other channel today, Rugby Ascended, the Greek was won 31-10, shocking the Cheetahs in Kimberley on that hard surface up there. Brilliant play by the Kariquas with a brilliant second half. Excellent, excellent defense on their part and a well-deserved victory for them. The British and Irish Lions in a bizarre situation, kind of a warm-up game, essentially played Japan, the Brave Blossoms, at Murray Field in Scotland. That game is full-time and the final score was 28-10. to Never in doubt, the British and Irish Lions rushed out to a 21 to nothing lead before Japanese ever got any points on the board in the second half. Finish up the game at 28-10 with just a single try. Disappointing performance by the Brave Blossoms, who really played above themselves and showed they were world-class on a top-ten side at the Rugby World Cup in Japan. Perhaps the layoff has harmed them like it's harmed many others. But to the news. Tourism Minister Nkubani is supposed to have met today with the Ministerial Advisory Committee on the pandemic to determine further lockdown measures. Reportedly, President Sir Ramaphosa will address the nation tomorrow, the 27th of June, in the evening. Now, interestingly enough, that will be only after it's too late to tell the British and Irish Lions not to come to South Africa. So will they arrive and be safely ensconced in Hauteng before travel bans take effect? We will see with Ramaphosa on tomorrow night. If, in fact, Ramaphosa does come on tomorrow night, I will live stream that and I will give commentary as you'll as usual, providing updates on what Ramaphosa has to say. The economic freedom fighters show disdain for the health and welfare of 59 million South Africans with their no social distancing, no facial covering, misbehaving, mass gathering in violation of all rules and regulations related to the pandemic. Whether you believe in the rules or not, their disdain for South Africans' health, which they purport to be out there supporting and defending, and they're also flaunting ANC rules. Juju, Julius Malema, the leader of the Economic Freedom Fighters, is given the South African Health Products Regulatory Authority, or SAPRA, seven days to approve or license the usage of the Sputnik jab, or else he'll threaten mass action in further violation of current regulations. SAPRA, for its part, says it only responds to science. That's brilliant. I think it's a, a methodology you should share with the National Coronavirus Command Council, which shakes the bones, consults the Sangoma, and believes in Muti. They have no idea what science is, the members of the National Coronavirus Command Council. By the way, shall we issue milk cartons with an image of Nkosizani Dalemizuma? Where is she at? We haven't seen her surface in months now. Where is Nkosizani Dalemizuma? Please. This is an urgent bulletin. Does anyone know where Nkosizani Dalimizuma is? The head of the National Coronavirus Command Council. Absent. Unknown whereabouts. Car Powership, the Turkish company that got this bizarre multi-billion dollar contract to provide offshore liquefied natural gas generated electricity from converted cargo ships. A successful model, mind you. But they got this bizarre contract to deliver 200 plus billion rand 
to South Africa over a period of a decade has failed all the regulatory applications that it submitted, yet it plans to push forward with its effort nonetheless. Labor Minister Tulas Nkesi seeks to ban foreign nationals from working in sectors of South Africa's economy, starting with e-hailing services like Uber. This xenophobic ANC targeting of foreigners rears its ugly head yet again. South Africa will be sending 12 swimmers to the Tokyo Olympics, 12 swimmers headed there. And Namibia has hired former Springbok coach Alistair Kutsia, also known for coaching the Western Province and the Stormers, as the Velvich's head coach through the 2023 Rugby World Cup. Morocco and Liberia have signed an exploratory, exploratory agreement for oil exploration. Former Mauritanian President Aziz has been arrested. 19 people killed in the continuing violence in the Sahel in western Niger. And the Southern African Development Community wakes up from its slumber 90 days after the horrific events that took place on March 24th in Cabo Delgado province in the town of Palma with the brutal dismemberment, slayings, murders, tortures, Horrific events took place in Cabo Delgado in Palma. 90 days later, the Southern African Development Community wakes up and authorizes a deployment of its so-called standby force, which is not the force that exists. That exists supposedly for peacekeeping. It's not a peacekeeping mission. We'll see what happens. Gutter Airways has launched two new routes to Africa, Lusaka and Harare, which will take effect in August. They already have 27 destinations across the continent with 100 weekly flights as they spread their wings further into Africa and give travelers more options. Former President Donald Trump will be holding a 4th of July rally in Sarasota, Florida. And the chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, Milley, defends the teaching of critical race theory to military officers. And Second Amendment sanctuary counties are popping up all over America. The explosion of Second Amendment sanctuary jurisdictions across America. Those are the headlines for today, the 26th of June, 2021. Let's get to the in-depth analysis of these news stories. First off, out of the bat, tourism minister slash health minister in Kubani was to have met with the ministerial advisory committee today, the 26th of June. Yes, I know an ANC member working on a weekend. It's just, it. I'm gobsmacked as well. Nonetheless, she was to meet, no news updates on that, but she was to meet with ministerial advisory committee. And one assumes that the outcome of that was the announcement that Ramaphosa will be speaking to tomorrow. But there she is, apparently one of the few ministers not involved in some degree of corruption because we really don't know what her qualifications are to be a minister of health. But she is meeting with the MAC today to inform the president most likely on what restrictions he should come up with. Well, if you're going to use restrictions, how about you start with these jackals? These jackals right here, the economic freedom fighters. Once again, uh, we've already repeatedly, endlessly reported that this group has violated all the lockdown restrictions, no arrest. Instead, the South African Police Service bothers itself arresting minority South Africans, criminalizing their lawful behavior because we know that the ANC's actions are unconstitutional according to the North Halatang High Court decision in June of 2020. Yet the ANC continues to flaunt the Constitution and do whatever they want. But here's another example, living proof right here. Let's look at this story right here. I'm going to show you a video from News 24. We'll bring it up here in just a moment. No social distancing. EFF protests nor social distancing regulations during a march, not to mention the restriction on 100 people or less. Get a color, color, do you 
Of those people arrested how many of them were detained where was julius malema brought in by the police to answer questions for his behavior he wasn't it didn't happen yet again this party violates all standards and norms they're not expected to obey the rules this party that incited violence and domestic terrorism against clicks this party that incited violence and domestic terrorism against commercial farmers in the free state in the northern cape this party that sings racial hatred and violates the constitution and law at every turn Yet no consequences. When will Cyril Ramaphosa and the ANC take action against this lawbreaker? When? And this party of rogues who act like buffoons in parliament and act like criminals on the street. Malema has given Sapra seven days to approve the Russian jab and the Chinese jab or else more protest, more violations. You see the utter disdain that the economic freedom fighters who claim to want these things, just like they claim to want school closures for South Africans' health and welfare, concerned about their lives. They're not concerned. If they're concerned about people's welfare, why are 6,000 people jammed together in the space where no gathering more than 100 is allowed under the current, you know, cowabunga wave in South Africa? Answer me that. Riddle me that. Well, it's because they're simply breaking the rules. Simply breaking those. For their part, <laughs> Sapra has said that we believe in science. We won't be swayed by anything but science. Please tell that to the National Coronavirus Command Council, which is rolling the bones right now and consulting their sangomas. The FF wants them to include the Sputnik and Sinovac jabs in the government's rollout program. Well, they did what they threatened to do, and the empty, empty, useless empty threats from the tourism slash health minister who threatened consequences are non-existent. Do we see warrants issued? Has anyone been rounding up the leadership of this party for the crimes they commit? No. Empty, empty threats. This is why they commit these crimes and do what they want to do with impunity. This is why people murder farmers and farm workers with impunity because they know they won't be prosecuted in South Africa or the risk of prosecution is very low. Turkish car power ship is in trouble. Its bid to provide supplemental electricity to South Africa through offshore generated liquefied natural gas uh, on converted cargo ships has failed environmental reports. Now, I, this, this whole thing smells very fishy, very fishy. Of course, this whole thing went through very quickly with Guede Mantasha looking the other way, apparently. At least that's the claim. 225 billion power ship deal may finally be sunk by environmental Department's refusal to authorize the consortium's projects. It failed to deliver adequate environmental reports or listen to warnings from specialists. So my question is this, given that they're functioning with this capability elsewhere, such as Lebanon, effectively meeting standards there, it's fairly mysterious that they would fail the standards for South Africa. And what exactly are these standards? It's a cargo ship converted to generate electricity offshore. So they are using liquefied natural gas, so their carbon output is dramatically lower than coal-fired stations that the South African government license to ESCOM. ESCOM puts out more freaking carbon dioxide than the rest of the planet, probably. And so, so what's going on here? I suspect there's yet more corruption involved with this whole situation, but car power ships deal is on the rocks now. And the South African government and its xenophobia rears its head once again as the labor minister seeks to ban 
foreign nationals from multiple sectors of the economy, starting with e-hailing services like Uber. Employment Labor Minister Tulas Nkese says that his department has been working closely with the International Labor Organization in the commissioning and development of a new national labor migration policy. We have signed binding international agreements and will ensure that our policy does not conflict with those agreements. Whatever we do will be in line with the Constitution. So what he wants to do, he said that South African employers deliberately prefer foreign workers as a source of cheap labor as they're willing to take anything for wages. Well, that's not entirely accurate, sir. The real reason why people prefer South Af- or foreign workers over South African is that South African workers are lazy. They're disrespectful. They're entitled. And they're highly inefficient. Highly inefficient. Foreign workers tend to be polite, respectful, happy for the job, and efficient. And thereby, you get a far better service or product delivered to a consumer. That's why they prefer foreign workers, not because of low wages. Now, here in America, it's low wages in, in industries like, you know, picking agricultural products. Yeah. What is South Africa? Now, you have workers working in all sorts of industries because they get the job done, unlike lazy, useless, feckless South African workers whose productivity is low. Now, nobody in the chat should take this as an insult. There are millions of hardworking uh, South Africans with a great work ethic, but they're matched by just as many people who are absolutely useless in the workforce. Absolutely useless. If they're not stealing from you, they're lying. If they're not lying to you, they're not showing up for work. If they're not, if they're not, if they're showing up for work, then they need to be out for this funeral for someone who died from HIV or for this or for that. Yeah, highly ineffective. The efficiency of South Africa's labor force is very suspect. Yeah, that's why people are looking for foreign workers. But it's not just e-hailing services he seeks to exclude folks from. He also excludes, seeks to exclude folks from the hospitality sector, specifically restaurants and also security, farming, and agriculture. Jobs such as restaurant waiters and truck drivers will also likely come under scrutiny as they have previously been identified by the department as having a high concentration of foreign workers. Yes, and as I would tell you anecdotally, every time I got a meal in Teng over many, many years and the service was good, Nine out of 10 times, it's because the person providing the service was a Zimbabwean. And I'd ask the question without even knowing their name. So where are you from in Zimbabwe? <laughs> How do you know I'm from Zimbabwe? Well, you're polite. <laughs> you gave me good service. You were friendly. And um, you know, your accent's a little bit different. So yeah. Anyway, that's uh, labor minister has got his head up his rectum, just like the rest of the African National Congress. Protectionism is not the answer. Fixing South Africa's derelict workforce and educating South Africans is the answer. Of course, you're going to need some protection because it's going to take a while. South Africa will be sending, sending 12 swimmers to the Tokyo Olympics as all the qualifications are now complete. South Africa's Kayleen Corbett right there. So let's take a look at the team here. And here you go. Peter Kotsia, Ethan Dupreer, Michael Hooley, Chad Leclo. Matthew Sates, Bradley Tanney, Amy Canney, Emma Chiles, Kayleen Corbett, Aaron Gallagher, Tatiana Sconemaker, and Mariella Venter. Those are your Olympians for swimming from South Africa. Good luck. South Africa has done, done reasonably well in swimming events in the past at the Olympics. The Velviches, the national side for Namibia, have hired Alistair Kotsia, the former Springbok and Western Province coach, as their national side coach. There he is right there. Accepted the challenge of leading Namibia to the Rugby World Cup. They announced, the Namibia Rugby Union announced the former Springbok boss has been appointed senior national team head coach with effect from 25 June and up until the end of the 2023 World Cup. 58-year-old Kutsia previously coached the Stormers from 2010 to 2015 and the Springboks 2016-2017 before joining the Cannon Eagles in Japan. Since parting ways with the Japanese side in 2020, he's not held a head coaching position, so he'll get back to work here. Alistair Kutsia, 
who unfortunately has a horrific record, one of the worst ever as a Springbok coach, winning just one-third of his games. Unfortunately, Namibia, like most teams, hasn't played a test match since the 2019 Rugby World Cup. And in fact, they are in worse shape than others because their last match never occurred because of Typhoon Hagibis, which wiped out their game against Canada, their best shot to date at winning a pool stage game. Now, it'll be up to Alistair Kotsia to get them through in a difficult pool to get a victory in 2023 in France. Morocco and Liberia have signed an exploration agreement for oil, two countries not associated with oil production. Morocco and Liberia signed an agreement in Rabat on exploration of hydrocarbons as well as cooperation for the period of 2021 to 2023. The first agreement aims at establishing the general framework of cooperation and oil exploration activities in both countries in exchange of experience and capacity building this area. Both countries lack that, so that is interesting. second agreement defines the framework of cooperation in the economic, social, and cultural fields as well as student exchange and human resources. Well, that's fine. That'll work out to both countries' benefit. But oil? They're not exactly oil countries. Former President Aziz of Mauritania was arrested after ceasing his cooperation with law enforcement. He's wanted for corruption. Incarceration comes days after the former leader refused to continue reporting to police when he put under house arrest. Said he's being persecuted in a bid to keep him out of politics, but has vowed he would not go into exile. Prosecutor speaking on condition anonymity and the spokesman for the former president's party confirmed his detention on Tuesday without citing the reason. He's twice gone before a magistrate investigating the case since charge, including money laundering, which were brought back in March. Aziz ruled the West African state from 2008 to mid-2019 when he was succeeded by his former right-hand man and ex-defense minister, Gazuani, and they're probing into oil revenue and many, many other things, corruption related to his time. Former president, now a prisoner in jail. And more violence in the Sahel as 19 folks are killed in western Niger. Armed assailants killed 19 villages in western Niger near the border with Mali, where Islamic extremists have increasingly targeted civilians, the mayor of a nearby town announced on Friday. The attack occurred on Thursday in around the village of Dungazwane in western Niger's Tilaberi region. Three people were killed in the village and the others were killed in the fields. Suspected Islamic State fighters killed at least 100 civilians in January 2nd at raids in two villages in Tilaberi and at least 137 in coordinated raids in March in the neighboring Tahua region. This, this is horrific what's happening in Sahel and the world is doing very little. The French are pulling back. The Americans are pulling back. And what's going to happen to all these innocent people out there? Who knows? Well, speaking of innocent people and governments doing nothing and regional organizations doing little, the Southern African Development Committee has woken up from its slumber after 90 days. As I predicted, it would take at least three months for them to get off their ass. And they have finally. They have announced no details of a forthcoming mission to Cabo Delgado province to restore order. The SADAC standby force, which is non-existent, will support Mozambique to combat terrorism and acts of violence, extremism in Cabo Delgado province. On Wednesday, the executive secretary said that the end of a one-day summit in Maputo, the 16-member bloc of Southern African countries had approved the deployment of a standby force in support of Mozambique to combat terrorism and acts of violent extremism in Cabo Delgado. The standby force is part of a regional defense pact that allows military intervention in, to prevent the spread of conflict. That's not actually correct. The standby force is part of an African Union or, uh, setup that allows a peacekeeping force to be deployed into a region to restore order or to maintain order once order has been restored. And it's never deployed. Every single African Union deployment, every single regional deployment that's ever occurred in Africa has been under the auspices of an ad hoc or a unilateral action. Gutter Airways is spreading its wings in Africa with already having 27 destinations and 100 weekly flights in Africa. It will be adding two new flights, two new routes, one to Lusaka in Zambia and the other to Harare in Zimbabwe on the 6th of August. The flag carrier of Gutter is excited to connect passengers to the two cities while maintaining increasing cargo demand with the move. 
Qatar Airways Group uh, CEO Al Baker took a moment to share how valuable routes in Africa are to his company. Overall, the airline is expanding very well across the continent. Africa continues to be an area of strong growth for Qatar Airways, and launching this service will support the development of the economy and tourism sector in both countries. Not only do we continue to rebuild our network after the pandemic, but we're actively expanding it with the addition of these two key destinations. These are the fifth and sixth new destinations in Africa added to our network since the start of the pandemic, taking our total destinations added across the globe to 10. Seems like their focus has been on Africa for gutter. That's good news for travelers across Africa and those hoping to go to Africa with more opportunity to get routes and travel there. Well, it's Madagascar Day, uh, day yesterday, the 25th of June, folks. Congratulations, Madagascar, celebrating its independence on the 25th of June. This from Secretary of State Tony Blinken from the United States. On behalf of the government of the United States of America, I congratulate the people of Madagascar on the occasion of your Independence Day. The United States values our strong relationship with Madagascar, which is buttressed by our mutual commitment to addressing climate change. Boy, that's in every freaking release now, climate change, and fostering inclusive economic development. And so is that. We look toward, forward to continued cooperation to advance democratic governance, human rights, and sustainable growth for Madagascar people in the years to come. Well, thank God they're on the climate change bandwagon. Well, we wouldn't want to miss that, would we? Well, speaking to somebody with a little bit of disdain for that that religion is the former president, Donald John Trump himself, who will be holding a rally in Sarasota, Florida. The Save America rally will be billed as a 45 fest. It will be held on 3rd July at the Sarasota Fairgrounds, and it's co-sponsored by the Republican Party of Florida. It'll be the former president's second rally since leaving the White House, and it's in further support of the MAGA agenda and accomplishments of his administration. Live music special guest speakers will feature the event with a huge fireworks show to celebrate America following President Trump's remarks to conclude the full-day event commemorating our great country. Doors open at 2 p.m. The former president expected to speak at 8 p.m. And there you have it. The Trumpsters back on the bandwagon traveling around America. Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, General Mark Milley, U.S. Army, is defending the teaching of critical race theory. I've reported on this previously, but this is an update and an op-ed from Lee Smith. Milley told the committee that he'd read Marx, too, but that doesn't make him a communist. He's right, but it signals his ambition clearly. Outside the faculty lounge of American universities, no one reads Marx because Marx is unreadable. <laughs> you could fit everyone who's read all three volumes of Marx's masterwork, Capital, into a small prison cell. Milley said he reads to understand what other people think, but people who boast of having read Marx are trying to shape what other people think about them. He's addressing the kind of people who think reading Marx is part of the foundation of well-rounded education. In America, those are the men and women of the establishment left who not coincidentally sit on the boards of big corporations and decide who gets to earn a million-dollar paycheck simply by occupying a board seat next to them. Saying you've read Marx shows that you're okay, even if you've spent your career with an American flag on your shoulder. Milley said he reads to understand what motivates people, but no one in the communist world, neither its Politburo's nor its proletariats, have ever been motivated by Marx, regardless of what they've written in their memoirs or on the walls of their prison cells. Understanding Marx's doctrine was no help explaining the actions of Soviet leaders during the Cold War. The U.S. intellectual class said it was important to figure out because they wanted to be paid by the federal government to read and write, so they said they were on the front lines in the War of Ideas. Nor does General Milley need critical race theory to understand why the middle-class Americans who send their children to serve under him are mad at the elites he flatters by promoting their ideas. He's not just asking the right questions, which are these. Why are they mad we exported their jobs to China? Why are they mad we send their children to kill and die in strangely, strategically pointless foreign wars that advance only our interest? Why are they angry we denigrate their symbols and their monuments, their heroes and their history? Why are they mad we destroyed their businesses and kept their children from going to school? Why are they mad we didn't let them visit their loved ones in nursing homes and hospitals as they lay dying? Why are they mad we tell them they are racist and their country will be remade in the image of those we encourage to cross our borders illegally and the criminals we send to the streets to kill them? Why are they mad when we tell them that there's no place for them in the new country until they confess to the evil they've done? Powerful op-ed, and I'd have to say I got no disagreement with that. General Milley, it's disgraceful what he did.
unbelievable what he said in 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 in, in the House committee to Representative Gates. Shocking. Watch the video. Go find it. It will shock you. It will shock you that the senior leader in the U.S. military believes what he actually said. It's shocking. Second Amendment sanctuary counties and states are springing up all over America. And the mainstream media is not telling you about this. Well, Epic Times has done us a favor and brought us information on that. Here you go. Gun sanctuary movement erupts. 61% of U.S. counties now are Second Amendment sanctuaries. An analysis revealed that more than three-fifths of all U.S. counties are so-called Second Amendment sanctuaries after a number of states this year passed legislation declaring them as such. We've seen plenty of news about constitutional carry, which is another movement that we're actually quite supportive of, the site wrote. Yet the mainstream news has remained relatively silent regarding this massive Second Amendment sanctuary movement, which leads us to a few questions. Constitutional carry generally, meanwhile, refers to the ability of a state's citizens to carry a weapon without a permit. Importantly, the Second Amendment of our Constitution clearly states that the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed upon. So let's take a look at the number of counties where you can carry a firearm without being impinged upon by the government's rules. Even in California, we've got three counties out there that have now got county-level resolution to protect rights. You can see a whole blanket of states across the Midwest, basically the center of the country, and then coming back east, number of counties in Ohio, Illinois, Ohio, Illinois, Indiana, virtually the entire state of Kentucky, Virginia, except for Loudoun County and one other, all of West Virginia. Pennsylvania is starting to turn green on this map too. Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina, virtually every county, virtually every county in New Mexico, about two-thirds of counties in Utah, and of course the ones that aren't are the urban centers. Look at that. That's where the urban centers are for the most part. There you have it, folks. Those are the constitutional carry and the Second Amendment sanctuary locations across the United States. Those are the headlines. That's news and in-depth analysis for today, the 26th of June, 2021. Thanks for tuning in. We appreciate support for the channel. If you're not a subscriber to Chris White Africa, hey, why not take a second, push the button. It's right down there. Become a subscriber. It costs you absolutely nothing. You'll get daily updates of, well, most days if I'm not busy somewhere else, but daily updates of news and events across Africa and other places that influence Africa, including the United States, China, and the European Union. Thank you for your time and your patronage. God bless and have a lovely weekend.